Welcome to the Grace Avenue Church Podcast, where we believe that the grace of God is yours to live. It is our prayer that this message will help you experience God's freedom, live your potential, and make the impact you were created for. Now here's the message. Father, this morning we thank you that all things are possible with you. Lord Jesus, in the midst of all the craziness we see in our nation right now, I thank you, God, that as the church, we're believing for revival in the midst of the chaos. God, I thank you that our eyes are fixed on you, that our heart is set on you, that the words of our mouth are a confession of faith and truth and life, that you are right here working in the middle of all of the destruction, all of the confusion, and all of the chaos. Lord, we lift our spirits this morning to reflect on you and to trust that you are working all things together for good. Lord, hear the cry of our heart this morning. We're asking that you would awaken our city. Awaken people. Revival starts with us, God. It starts with us. It starts with our lives. It starts with our passion. It starts with our devotion. So God, this morning, would you stir us to see you as you want to be seen. God, would you remove from us the dead religion that's hanging over our life, the dead tradition, the things that have no life. Lord, would you restore to us the joy of our salvation. Help us see clearly, Lord, what you're doing in us right now. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Grace Avenue Church, great to be with you again here on Sunday morning. I'm getting used to this. Here we are, I think, six weeks in, in the middle of all the craziness, and um, we're working this out week in and week out. So thank you for being with us today. Thanks again to our team for doing such an amazing job and always bringing the worship, always bringing it every single Sunday, bringing us something fantastic. Uh, Excited to be with you this morning. And uh, I've been learning a lot through this week, writing some things down, some things I thought maybe that uh, I would share with you this morning. First off, uh, the first thing I've learned is uh, noise-canceling headphones work on your wife and children. I didn't know if you know that. Noise-canceling headphones work on your wife and children. Number two, uh, these are not the days of cheese and wine. Sorry, parents. These are the days of whining and Cheez-Its. Whining and Cheez-Its, no cheese and wine. And number three, some of you are going to look back in life and refer to this chapter in life as the season of snacks. Make sure you write that down for your children. Um, We've been talking about revival. We've been asking God to do something powerful that starts with us. We've been asking God to do something mighty in us as people. And um, as I was listening to all the newscasts and watching social media, and I had a lot of conversations with people this week, uh, specifically phone conversations. I called a lot, of, a lot of people from our church, as many as I could. Every week I'm trying to do this. Um, I, I'm recognizing that people's feelings are really in the middle of all of this right now. You could, you could see the crest is starting to happen, where people are starting to get a little bit more vocal about what they think and about what they feel. I think at first people especially because we're not necessarily New York or Florida or 
Louisiana or California where the coronavirus was really affecting people at a significant level, um, I think it was easier for people to be more restrained. Now, five, six weeks into this, uh, people's lives being disrupted, kids home all the time, people getting tired of Zoom calls, people wanting to see people, people wanting to go out to eat, people not wanting to be restricted, people's feelings are rising in the middle of all this. And right now, a lot of us are dealing with our own feelings. Um, Feelings about what we thought was going to happen the next couple of months, how we thought our lives were going to turn out, uh, what we thought about this quarter, this year, vacation, whatever it may have been, kids graduating, weddings, uh, all the challenges that are now presented to us because we didn't know this was going to happen. I wanted something today to anchor your feelings because something has to anchor your feelings in the midst of all the wandering thoughts and all the things that are happening, um, your feelings are never just a good anchor because you'll drift. So it's important to make sure that you're anchored in something. And the disciples themselves walked with Jesus for three years. And as they walked with him, uh, they needed to be recentered at times. They needed to be recentered on the way they thought, uh, what they were speaking what they were believing. So at times we may find ourselves in a place where we say this on Sunday and maybe on Monday morning we're ready to go, but by Thursday maybe our feelings have taken us away from that place of confidence and trust. And so this morning, I want to anchor you again in faith. I want to talk to you about having faith over feelings. Every week I'm writing that I'm writing a message or writing content or something to bring to Grace Avenue. It's it always has been this way, but it's always based on where, I, where we're at, where I feel our church is at, where I feel uh, the people are at, where I feel the nation is at, just the times that we're in. Um, so please know that when I'm speaking to this uh, subject today, uh, this is not some recycled message that I, I pulled out of the can from three years ago. This is something fresh that I really believe uh, is critical for us to focus on in the midst of what we're doing. What does your faith look right like right now? Let me ask that question. What does your faith look like right now at this moment? In the middle of the uncertainty, uh, with the familiarity of your routines and your habits all disrupted now, uh, what does your faith look like right now? And when I ask you that question, I I want it to stir thought in you, not just feeling, um, because many of you, if if I was sitting across the table from you in person and we were having coffee or maybe you were, were having lunch, and I were to ask you that question, what does your faith look like right now? Many of you would probably say, well, this is how I'm feeling, or this is what I feel, or this is what I feel about how things have been going lately, or this is how I feel about my life. And what I'm saying today is different than feelings. What I'm talking about is faith, and faith is, is not feelings, Faith is very different from feelings. As a society, even in Christianity, people have a tendency to really crown their feelings as king over their life and, and their season. And, and I'm wanting to take a step back from that and maybe not deny how you feel right now, but really refocus where your faith is in this moment. I'm not talking about feelings. I'm talking about faith. Faith is not feelings. Faith is a function of your belief. Faith is a function of your belief. It's you living out and believing the truth about who Jesus is in spite of how you feel, right? There's how we feel, but then there's where our faith anchors us, 
right? There's how we feel in discouraged times, but then there's where our faith anchors us. Uh, There's what happens when we lose a job, but then there's our faith that anchors us. And so that's what I'm talking about today. Faith is not something that I'm asking you to to kind of just muster up on the inside and and try and like hype yourself into this place where you have faith. That's not actually faith. Uh, Faith is something that's a function out of your life. It moves from your life into action. It moves from your life, uh, not just in belief, but out of your living, into your life, into your finances, into the way you think, into what you say, into the lives of people in our society. Faith is something that's actually living and breathing and active. And um, so let me ask you, what does your faith look like right now? What does it sound like right now? What truth about Jesus are you living out and believing in spite of how things look and how things sound and in spite of how you feel? Proverbs 19 verse 21 says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are the plans in the mind and in the heart of us as people, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are the plans in our lives for 2020. Many were the plans for where things were going to end up. But what I'm saying is that it's the Lord's purpose that will stand. See, the disciples had their own plans for Jesus. And even people who met Jesus had their own plans for him. When they discovered he was powerful, knowledgeable, not just a teacher, but he could work miracles, that he was claiming to be the son of God, people tried to fit him into their agenda. They, they had to work hard to understand that his agenda was far greater and far bigger than just fulfilling the individual dreams and plans of the particular people who met him. And the disciples had their own plans for Jesus. We have our own plans for Jesus. We have our own career. We have our own kids. And part of our spiritual growth and maturity is understanding that our dreams are not concrete, but the purpose of, the, of God is, the love of God is. And that's what anchors us. So what's more important in the season to you? Let me ask you this question. Is really your child's education being disrupted more important? Or is it that your child learns from your example of how you handle when life throws curveballs at you? Of when the unexpected comes? Like what's more important that our, our, our child uh, is disrupted in their education or that they see that, hey, this is a season where we can learn how to rebound from things that disrupt us. This is how our family handles things. This is how we're going to handle things. We're going to pray. We're going to strategize. We're going to make the best and the most of what's going on here. We're not just going to rant on Facebook. We're going to seek God for what he has next because we're believing in faith that God is with us. I'm telling you, there's never been a better time to write down the the lessons that you want to teach your kids. Right now is such a critical time. There's never been a better time of teaching them how, how you and your life thought things would turn out, where you thought you'd be at 20, where you thought you'd be at 30, where you, where you thought you'd be at 40, where you are now, and, and, and to see how God has orchestrated in the middle of all that a plan that's brought blessing into your life and blessing to your family. So the purpose of God will stand. What, what should you bring back to center this morning? It's the purpose of God that stands in your life. That amidst all the unknown, all the uncertainty, God's purpose stands. It's no mystery that a lot of the plans have been shaken and disrupted and shifted 
in your life, but this is the time for you to focus that God's purpose will stand. God's purpose will prevail over uncertainty, over a loss of a job, over loss of income. God's purpose will stand in the middle of all this. That's not a statement of feelings. That's a statement of faith. That's a statement of belief. And when we stand there, we put roots down there. And it doesn't just affect our Sunday. It affects our Monday, our Tuesday, the next month, the next half a year, the next year in itself. When we plant those roots, it does something in us. And it works something out of us. And it affects other people around us. See, what, what's offensive to us and what makes us anxious is that we don't know what next is. That, that seems to be driving us crazy. Uh, as, as people, as a nation, we, we don't know what's next. We can only speculate. We can only guess. It's, it's a pressing anxiousness. What is next? What is next? Where are my kids going to be? What, how does this affect their school? How does this affect our income? When do we get to go back to church? When can we go to the grocery store? When is it safe to be around people? What is next? What is next? What is next? All these pressing questions and this pressing anxiousness is weighing down on people. And a couple of decades of doing what I do has taught me that people are living with that sort of anxiousness all the time. It's almost an adopted anxiety about a future that they were never created to control. I've noticed this with people. I guess you could say that right now, you know, things probably feel like they're like an eight or a nine on a scale. But generally, people who are living with that sort of pressing anxiousness and worry are living at a five. Uh, They have more things happening for them than they've ever had. They're fulfilling dreams they never thought they'd accomplish. They've got the job they prayed for, but they're still not happy. They've got the marriage that they wanted, but they're still not happy. They've got the income that they want, but they're still not happy. What's happening is people are finding their anchor in their feelings more than their long-term faith of trusting that God is working things out. I don't know if this will offend you or not, but it's okay if things don't go your way and you don't feel okay about it. It's hard for us to embrace that. But if we truly embrace that God's purpose will stand, we can look at situations that don't make sense to us and trust that God is working behind the scenes and in the middle of all of it to show himself faithful. See, for some people, what was a level five regularly is now at a level nine. But it's this constant pressing anxiousness. Look what Jesus said, Matthew chapter six. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's gonna bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Come on. We thought we were worried before. Now look at us. Look at us as people, what we're having to worry about now. Does this put into 2020 clarity? Not just the year, but vision. What was actually worrisome before, maybe it wasn't something we should have been worried about. Uh, Maybe it'll stir gratitude in us. Maybe us being more grateful. See, why do we consistently go back to worry instead of worship? It's a question we should ask ourselves. Why do we consistently find ourselves in these patterns where we go back to worry instead of worship? Well, we know what it doesn't produce, but we know what worship does produce. We know what faithfulness does produce. We know what faith produces. Yet we find ourselves, by the words of our mouth, by the thoughts in our mind, by the decisions that we're making, 
based out of fear. Why do we find ourselves consistently going back to worry instead of worship? Why do we consistently adopt anxiousness like it's this rescue pet from the shelter? We adopt it and we take it on for the day or for the, for the week or for the month or for the season or for some people, a lifetime. Because people anchor themselves in worry, in their feelings, and their thoughts about what may or may not happen instead of faith. See, what we fail to understand is that on the battlefield of Christianity for our lives, God has a plan, but the enemy also has a plan. The enemy's plan is always to bring confusion and destruction and disruption and distraction and temptation. But God uses those things to strengthen us. And he gives us the power to overcome in those situations, to overcome those difficulties. And there's a particular time in Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 22, where Jesus is speaking to Peter, Simon Peter, one of his disciples. And he actually highlights this. He highlights his faith because he knows what what Peter's feeling. And he, he addresses this and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Think about that for a second. Of all the things Jesus could have prayed for, for Peter, he said, I've prayed that your faith may not fail you. He didn't say, I I pray that your bank account is always full. He didn't say, I pray that you never have a bad day. He didn't say, you know, "I, I, I pray that everything goes according to your plans and that your dreams come true. No, he said, I pray that your faith may not fail you. Why? Because your feelings will. I pray that your faith may not fail you. And then he says, when you've turned back, strengthen your brother. See, Jesus knew Peter was going to face opposition. He knew he was going to face difficulty. And the prayer of Jesus was not, hey, let me get Peter out of this situation. The prayer was, let me pray that his faith is strengthened in the midst of it. That his prayer would stir something in Peter to get him to think about his own faith with what he was going to face. His command to Peter was, hey, when you come back to solid ground, when all this shakes out, I want you to turn back and strengthen those who've fallen away. Strengthen those who are weak. Really, that's the call for us as people of God right now. That's the call for Christians. We're to to turn back in our faith. Turn back and strengthen those around us. Turn back to our neighbors. Turn back to our friends. Turn back to family. Strengthen the faith of people around us. But it starts with us. Life has to start with us. Faith has to start with where we are. We have to be honest about that with what our faith looks like and sounds like. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, he's talking about Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He said at the beginning of this passage, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. He's talking about Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter before where people ran the race 
faced difficulty, stayed in faith. He's talking about Noah and Moses and Abraham and all these people who've gone before us, this great cloud of witnesses, this people, these people who are now in heaven, now with God, but now stand as a testimony for our life. A great cloud of witnesses. He said, let us throw off everything that hinders. What is he saying? Number one, he's saying, throw off everything that holds you back. That's how you strengthen your faith. That's how faith triumphs over feelings. Number one, you throw off the things that hold you back. He said, let's, th- let's throw everything off that hinders. Uh, you know, let- let's offload baggage, right? Some of you are doing some amazing house cleaning right now. Throwing stuff away, finding stuff you didn't know you had. I found files from 2002. I'm throwing them away. That's a long time ago. My kids weren't even born. None of them, right? Like that's a long time to have some stuff in a box that's just sitting in the garage saying, I'll get to that later. That's 18, what, 18 years? Is my math okay? 18 years to be holding on to something that I haven't looked at in 18 years. I know there's a period of time you're supposed to hold on to it, but that just shows you some things have been hanging on. They needed to be offloaded. He says, throw off everything. Throw off the the baggage. Throw off the dead weight, the hindrances in your life. You know, some of those hindrances in your life can be people. They could be your own attitudes. They can be places. They can be a state of your mind. They can be a state of your heart. You know, you ever go to an airport and you bring your bags and they weigh the bags and then they tell you, if you want to take this bag, all right, um, it's overloaded and you're going to have to pay extra because the bag is overloaded, right? You, you get into this position where you thought you weren't carrying something that was that heavy, but you recognize when you put it on the scale that it is heavy and it overloads. And if, if, if you just say, oh, it's just a little bit of baggage, it, it'll be okay. I'll, I'll let it go. The problem is if everybody does that, the plane will be over 10,000 pounds and tragedy will happen. Why? So they know. They're supposed to weigh the bags. They know they're supposed to make sure that we understand. If we're really doing that, they have to calculate for us because we haven't calculated that taking baggage with us down the road is going to cost us more. They've already made that assessment. And the things that we take into the next season of life, into our next destination that we should have offloaded in the last season always cost us more. This is why we're supposed to throw off things. This is why we should offload in this season some of the feelings that try to dominate our life and learn what it's like to stand in our own faith, stand in in roots like a giant trunk of a tree that locks us down into soil like streams of living water pass by that continually feed that tree and strengthen its roots and, and bring it up to this place where it provides shade for others. That's what your, God wants your life to look like, your faith to look like. But it starts with asking yourself the question, what does your faith look like right now? What does it sound like? Are you willing to throw off the things that are hindering your marriage right now? The things that are hindering your finances? Is it discipline? Is it putting yourself under some accountability? It's to some things that will affect your parenting. See, there's a chance for us to look right now and ask God, what do you want me to throw off? He said, throw off the, the heaviness and then the sin that entangles. 
You know, sin is like a spider web. You know, you ever go into the garage or the corner of, uh, of the, <clears throat> the house of something and you notice that a spider web has, has gone there and, and you're, you're trying to clear it out and it gets all stuck to your hand and all of a sudden your whole hand is entangled with all this web that you didn't know was there. You didn't know it had that effect on you. That's what sin does to people. Sin entangles us. The more we try to play around with it, sin entangles us. And this is a season for us to really reflect on our faith and say, is there sin that we've been playing around with, messing around with, allowing to affect our life? And is it time really to stop allowing that sin to entangle us into a life of confusion? You know, you, you, you can't worship confidently when you're living in sin. There's always this thing in the back of your head. There's always this thing in the, in the back of your mind. God has more. God's best is more important. So it's always hanging out there weighing down on your spirit, keeping you from really worshiping in freedom the way God designed you to worship. Sin hinders your confidence. Unrepentant sin will kill your progress and it'll dilute your destiny. And it'll, it'll bring you down to that place where people say about you, oh, that's the guy who could have been or should have been or would have been. There's nothing sadder than a Christian's life that could have been or, or should have been or would have been. And we have to see that the baggage that's weighing us down and the sin that tries to entangle us, it's a command from God for us to throw those things off and to disconnect ourselves from those things that are trying to entangle us. So is sin part of the hindrance in your life right now? Is sin part of what you need to throw off? Uh, you know, when we think of sin, a lot of times people think of the big sins as if there is the big sins, but they're just, there's sin, right? We, we like to categorize them and label them as that's a big sin and that's a little sin, but, but sin is sin. Jesus died for sin. He didn't categorize it. Well, I'm dying for the little sins on this day, but tomorrow when I rise, I'll cover all the rest of it. No, he just died for sin. And in doing so, we have to think about some of the things that affect us. Here's, here's some thoughts that we can think about, right? Do we gossip about leadership when we don't get our way? Sliding in sly comments about people that were, were under authority and, or people that we serve because we didn't get our way. That's sinful. Well, I'm just, I'm just kind of trying to keep it real. Yeah, you're, you're keeping it real sinful. <laughs> that, that's not the attitude that God wants us to have. There, there's a way God wants us to approach leadership and pray for leadership and deal with leadership. Yeah, and it may not be, cup of your, it may not be your cup of tea, but that's the way God has designed us to learn how to work in and around all this difficulty and learn what it's like to love when we don't get our way. Learn when things don't go our way, right? Do you paint other people in a bad light when you can't control them? Uh, When they won't give you what you want, when they don't give you the promotion, when they don't give you the raise, when they don't give you the title, when they don't let you do or say what you ask them to say. See, these are things that we wouldn't often think it's sinful, but really they can be if they're coming from a place where we're trying to control people. Here's here's another one. Do you withdraw when you don't get your way? That's sinful. Like that's the equivalent of take your ball and go home. And if God has called us to do battle on the field of faith and we're taking our ball and going home when we don't get our way, we've got some growing to do. So these are things that in a season like this, this is part of the mindset that we should say, does that need to be thrown off? Do I need to get rid of this? Do I need God to deal with this place in my heart and in my faith so that I can go the distance? 
Number two, he says, throw off the, everything that hinders and the sin that entangles and let us run the race with perseverance. That's what he says. Run with perseverance. What is perseverance? It's a steady persistence in a course of action, a purpose, a state, especially in spite of difficulties, obstacles, or discouragement. It's a steady persistence. In other words, you just keep going. Back in the day, you would plug light bulbs into a, a light and you'd know when they burn out. Nowadays, you get these LED bulbs, you know, and they just last forever. You don't have to change them as much. And it's just shocking to think, when am I supposed to change this light bulb? But they just keep going and going and going. Well, those are persevering light bulbs. And in the same way, there's an element of our life that's supposed to rise up because of faith and it's perseverance. And God calls us to run the race with perseverance. Look, raising kids, that takes perseverance. If you don't have any kids yet, just say amen because you're going to need that amen in time. But raising kids takes perseverance. You know, get it out of your mind, parents, that this was supposed to be easy. Get it out of your mind that this was supposed to be stress-free. Get it out of your mind that they're all supposed to be like you and your personality. Get it all out of your mind that they're supposed to be obedient and well-behaved. Get it all out of your mind. And then when they are, you can give God really great glory for what's happening. But it's a journey. We're called to instruct and train and raise our kids. But that takes perseverance. It's not just going to happen. And just because it's not happening doesn't mean it won't happen. Sometimes part of the perseverance that we need for raising kids is to stop thinking that everything's going to be so bad just because they misbehave. Like I was the worst in some areas of life. And now I'm telling you what to do with your kids. Trust me, God can work out something great. Give him time, all right? James chapter one, verse four says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Let perseverance finish its work in you. Now, does that offend you? Just the fact that God may need to finish something in you. Because on our social media, we present ourselves as complete. When we meet people, we present ourselves as complete and put together. When we walk into work, we present ourselves as complete and put together. When we meet strangers, we present ourselves as complete and put together. When we send out a resume, we present ourselves as complete and put together. But when we lay our head on our pillow at night, we know the reality of where we're dropping the ball. We know it needs to improve. We know it's not working out. We know it's getting shaken in our life. We know it's been disrupted. We know it's discouraging us. We know it disappoints us. All of those things are part of the work, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our life to change us, to make us more into the image of Christ. Here James says, let per perseverance finish its work. In other words, there's a time we can stop the work if we're not careful. And James is encouraging us to let God finish the work. Why? So that we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything, which brings us to the place where we have to ask ourselves, do we have a problem admitting that we may be lacking some things? as a dad, as a mom, as a man, as a woman, as a, as a married couple, as a student? Are there some things possibly lacking that we're just kind of pushing away and ignoring and just hoping they get better? God wants to, wants to let perseverance work in our life so that fruit can grow from those places in life. Fruit can grow and it can bring life to other people. Look, when God saved you, 
He did not have a short sprint plan for your life. God was thinking long-term. He was thinking about the entirety of your life and your destiny. And he was not just thinking about your life and what you would accomplish. He was thinking generationally about your life and who would be impacted because of you. I think part of this season could really help us learn how to persevere. Not just now, but generationally. Okay, if things clear up here in the near future, you'll be talking about this season the way your grandfather talked about going to war or about the way your grandfather talked about losing everything and going bankrupt or maybe your great-grandfather going through the Great Depression or people losing businesses and livelihoods in the recession. You'll be talking about how you survived this to someone else. Someone will be asking you, what was that like? What, what was it like? Do you want to tell them, oh, I don't know, I was caught up in my feelings? Or do you want to tell them, no, God strengthened my faith in that time? Do you want to tell them, I watched Netflix for days and weeks and months until it was all over? Or do you want to tell them, God showed me some things that only he could show me in a time where I was still, in a time where I quit crying, trying to control everything. God got my attention. And he shaved off some things from my life that really caused me to see him in the the light that he is. See, one one of the reasons people don't see fruit grow in their life is because they quit too fast. They don't like to persevere. And right now, we're all in the same boat. In many ways, we're all in the same boat. We're, We're stuck wondering what's next, and our feelings can dominate this season, or faith can be the foundation in this season to get us through it. What does your faith look like right now? What does your faith sound like right now? Number three, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Come on, some of you, uh, your Amazon cart and the cart uh, for Target, it's full of items that you fixed your eyes on. They're waiting there. You're saving them there. You're saying, I just got the stimulus check where I'm going to. I shouldn't spend it. You're, you're debating that, right? You fixed your eyes on some things and they're just sitting there waiting. What happens when you fix your eyes on something, you fall in love with it. When you fix your eyes on something, uh, that thing takes over. When you fix your eyes on something, that thing becomes the dominant thing in your life for the moment, for the day, for the season. We're called to fix our eyes on Jesus. We can have faith over feelings when we fix our eyes on Jesus. Right now, my two-year-old, her name is Eden Rain. And Eden Rain, I've discovered at two and a half years old, thinks that she runs the house. She thinks that my 40 years over her life mean nothing and that I don't know what I'm talking about. And... Whenever she fixes her eyes on something, uh, she wants it. And sometimes when she's hungry, she'll, she'll say, hey, I want to I, I go to the cabinet. She want to get something to eat. We'll take her to the cabinet. And she'll scan the cabinet, kind of looking through as if I'm her waiter. And I get to lay out these items for her. And she'll want me to choose something. And nine times out of ten, it's always going to be a cookie that she chooses. She chooses a cookie. She fixes her eyes on. She fixes her eyes on the cabinet. Fixes her eyes on the Oreos and says, "That's what I want." She goes after it. 
because she fixed her eyes on something. When before her eyes were wandering, looking around for everything, she finally fixed her eyes on something that matters to her. And usually it's for breakfast. And I'll say, no, you can't have that. No, you haven't even eaten breakfast yet. And I'll say, okay, one for you, five for dad. Let's go. But you got to have some breakfast. It's because she fixed her eyes on something that it became more valuable to her, more important to her. Proverbs 4.25 says, look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Look straight ahead. And I'm asking you, church, to look straight ahead beyond what you think, beyond what you feel, beyond what the news says, and fix your eyes on God this morning. Fix your eyes on faith. Fix your faith on the future. It's not a sin to do that, to discount what you feel at times, to say, you know what? God is bigger than my worry. God is bigger and deserves my worship. Come on, this is never... There's never been a better time to fix your eyes on Jesus than now. Last verse, it says this, and I'm closing with this. It says, consider him who went to the cross. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How do we keep from drowning in worry? And how do we keep from losing heart? He says, consider Jesus who went to the cross and it says, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. See, Jesus is worthy of our consideration. He's worthy of us fixing our eyes on him and looking at his life and looking at what he endured and looking at what he was forced to deal with and considering the suffering that he went through and say, you know what? God has given me the opportunity and the ability to overcome in this season. Think about Jesus is what I'm saying. Consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. That's the last point. Think about Jesus. When Jesus is something that's dominating the thought, patterns of our life, when our eyes are fixed on him, it's going to direct the week. It's going to direct the month. It's going to direct the season. It's going to direct the outlook. Jesus often said, you've heard it said this in the New Testament. You've heard it said this, and he'd lay something out, but this is what I'm telling you. In other words, he's saying, you've heard people say this, but this is what I want to tell you. And a lot of that goes for right now. You've heard a lot about this season and where things are going to end up and how things could be. And I'm telling you, think about Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Listen to what he's telling you in this season. You'll never get this time back. This is a unique moment in history. Fix your eyes on him. Think about him. I want to pray for you as we close this morning. I want to pray for your faith to be strengthened and for your feelings to be tested against that strength of faith that God wants to maximize in your life. Wherever you are, wherever you're seated, if you're with your family, if you're on a phone, sitting in a vehicle, sitting in a living room, I just love to ask you to just um, take this moment. Close your eyes and as I pray, just maybe reflect on that question that I, that I asked this morning of what your faith looks like in this season. 
What does it sound like? Because the thing that God wants to do in your family, in your generation, in your city, in your job, in your career, in your business, could it possibly start with your faith right now? Lord, I pray for every person right now who's experiencing the question that I'm asking, the depth of the question that I'm asking. Lord, this is not a time for a surface sermon. This is not a time for shallow thinking. This is a time for reflective thought and deep thinking about where our faith rests in the midst of confusion and chaos. public health crisis that we're facing. So God, I'm asking your people to recognize where their faith is and what you want to do in them. Lord, you said your sheep can hear your voice. So Lord, I pray this morning that people heard you, that they heard you clearly, that they heard you about their life, that they heard you about baggage, that they heard you about sin, that they heard you about faith, that they heard you about their feelings. Lord, I pray that this morning people heard you over the worry and that they turn that worry into worship. This morning, if you need your faith strengthened, it's as simple as this, to say, God, I need you. God, I need your help. I need your strength. Just call out to him. And if you're a person who has been disconnected from God, running from God, not following the path where God has the reins of your life, then this is an opportunity for you as well to sit here on a Sunday morning and say, God, I want my faith not only to be strengthened, I want it to be established in you. Jesus says that if you would simply believe in him, just believe and trust him with your life, that he'll bring forgiveness over your life. You don't have to earn it. He'll bring forgiveness. He says that all shame over your life for the mistakes that you've made, those will be forgiven. He says that we don't become improved versions of ourselves, he says we become new creations. God sees us brand new. He says grace is poured out over your life. That's what we celebrated last week. That Jesus died on the cross for our sin, but he rose from the dead for our eternity, for our future, for the life that we can now live with his resurrection power on the inside of us. So this morning, If you've not made that decision, I want to pray for you. And really, I'd love for our church to pray with you. Maybe you tuned in today. Maybe you scrolled past the feed and said, who is this guy? I don't know this church. I don't even go to church. I know that this is speaking to me. Friend, I want to tell you, God does not make mistakes. And we serve a sovereign God who has purpose in everything. The reason he got your attention today is because he's not just thinking about your life. He's thinking about your future and the future of people who are around you and connected to you. So I want to pray with you if you need to make that decision today. Just know that our church is praying this with you by video. Just say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, 
today I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creation. Thank you, God, that by this confession of faith, I'm forgiven, I'm chosen, and I'm set free. From this day forward, I will live my life for you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Friend, if you, if you prayed that prayer today, it's going to change everything for the better. And I'm so proud of you for making this decision. God is with you. If you made that decision today, if you could just write in the comments right now, right there on Facebook or YouTube or wherever you are, just write, I was saved today. Just type that out. And one of our team is going to see that. And they're going to reach out to you. They're going to help you with the next steps for this decision that you made. Our goal is to help you as much as you'll allow us to help you. We want to be here for you. We're praying for you. Uh, remember that God takes time. Don't put yourself on this pedestal where you think everything has to be perfect tomorrow. Trust God with the process of your life. Give God grace and allow God's grace to work in your life so that you can see this decision turn into something that changes your life forever. Amen. God bless you. Love you. Have an incredible week. Church fam, it's been great being with you today. I miss you. I can't wait to see you. Uh, make sure that you're high-fiving each other on social media. Keep praying for one another. Um, I'm calling a lot of people from church. Don't be surprised if you get a call from me. Uh, I'm trying to check in with people as much as I can, but we love you. I'm praying for you. Janelle is praying for you. Our pastors are praying for you. And we can't wait to be together again. But until that time, let's continue to believe God is doing great things in and through this online broadcast. Keep praying for us. God bless you. We will see you next week. Amen. If you would like the most up-to-date information about Grace Avenue Church, or you are looking for a way to support this ministry, please visit us online at graceavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening.